Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how how exciting to see fans back in an actual ground at Wembley. There's a, a big under-23 game at Sellers Park tonight, Kieran, and I aim to get to the Porsons Arms as soon as we finish this pod, which, considering we're recording on Sunday, is, <laughs> I think is enough is enough drinking time. <laughs> Remember, though, fans, if you are heading for a match, keep taking precautions. We're not through this yet. And always drink responsibly. Now, it's questions day, Kieran. We've got a couple of new stories um, before we go on to some really interesting questions. Uh, the venue for the Champions League final being switched from Istanbul to Portugal, will that cost UEFA a lot of money in compensation? It will cost UEFA, and therefore indirectly, it will cost Manchester City and Chelsea as well, and, and all the other clubs. Um, they're going to have to give compensation to the Turkish Football Federation for changing the venue. Um, they're also going to have to, at relatively short notice, get a lot of people, from a logistics point of view, across to uh, Portugal. And uh, the the venue... Is uh, is smaller than Wembley, so they won't be able to sell sell as many tickets. So yes, there will be a hit. Um, that hit will be spread over a few years, is my understanding. Uh, okay. I think what UEFA are doing is they're saying they'll they'll effectively knock a couple of percentages off, uh, a couple of percentage points off the the money received by clubs over the next three to four years. So so not to concentrate it on uh, on a single season. Uh, I'm guessing as well that airlines may take advantage of the fact that Chelsea and Man City fans have to fly in and fly out on the same day. So I imagine those airfares are going to be a touch more expensive than they may have been for a normal weekend in Portugal. Um, yes, there, there was uh, there was somebody um, on Twitter yesterday, in fact, saying that uh, they had had actually booked for one night in uh, in Porto, Whoa. and uh, the uh, the website involved, which I won't name, uh, cancelled her booking. And then when she tried to rebook, the price had gone up by a factor of four. Um, I, I think as far as Manchester United are concerned in their trip to Gdansk. I think they're actually subsidising ticket prices by, or rather, the the package prices by two hundred pounds on the official packages to uh, acknowledge that it's not quite what everybody signed up for at the, you know, when we when we fell in love with football. Mm. Um, in the sense that uh, normally you would try to go for two or three nights and and make more of an experience of it. 
Mm. Now, Plymouth Argyle, Kieran, are one of our favourite clubs. They're very much on the the good list, but some issues with season tickets this weekend. Um, well, yes, I think it was just an element of confusion. Um, I, I believe that Home Park is also being used as a COVID testing centre. And uh, and fans uh, were queuing up, or rather people expecting jabs were queuing up in good faith, getting getting to the door only to find to say, uh, which stand do you want to, your season <laughs> ticket for? Because there appeared to be a bit of confusion in the queue, which I think is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me laugh so much that idea. You, you get into the head of the monkey and say, "How many do you want? Uh, what? Just, just, <laughs> just what? Where, where you normally have it? What? <laughs> In the arm." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a very, it was a very funny photograph. Uh, hats off <laughs> to the photographer who managed to. Uh, I'm sure what he said to these people was, "Would you mind looking confused just for a moment?" <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> before we start properly, Kieran, would you allow me to indulge myself by saying, "Happy birthday to Roy Nasse, um, who's been listening to the pod since day one, and who's been on the Palace train with uh, me since 1972." Everyone has a Roy in their life. The, you know, the good-looking, mischievous one who got us into lots of scrapes, and uh, now he's got an allotment. Breaks my heart. (laughs) Well, many happy returns to Roy. I think he's a fantastic one. And all his palace dreams come true. (laughs) All his palace. Yeah, let's hope we can beat Arsenal in a meaningless game at the end of the season. Yeah, say happy birthday to Roy on uh, Twitter at Roy Glad all over. And it just breaks my heart, Kieran, he's got an allotment. I can't can't tell you what a (laughs) handsome, good-looking boy this Oh. Really love you, Sean. Anyway, question time. Um, and Kieran, guess who the first question's about? No, no, yes. no, no, no. I'm yeah. be sitting down. It, only, only halfway through, it starts off as a perfectly innocent question, and then halfway through, turns into a scud missile aimed at the East Midlands. <laughs> um, it's from Scott Kerr, and Scott says, My question is about contracts for players that become managers. At the same time, for example, when Rain, Wayne Rooney became full-time manager at Derby County, how would this have worked? Presumably as a player, better than most in the championship, he'd be on higher than average wages. But as a rookie manager, would he be on less money than more established managers, I suppose? And I, I guess we should also preface that question, Kieran, by saying that whoever Wayne Rooney negotiates his next Derby contract with, it won't be Eric Alonso. <laughs> Yes, the uh, for those people unfamiliar with the tale, the to nobody's surprise <laughs> whatsoever, the, uh, the the fantasist that was Eric Alonso turned out to uh, have everything in place to acquire Derby County apart from the cash, um, <laughs> and uh, we, we had sort of politely been trying to to say that uh, this this was a, a deal which you should proceed with in terms of great caution. Um, but unfortunately, Mel Morris didn't share uh, that that degree of uh, concern. So uh, yeah. back back to the well. Can we just say, question. Eric, the, the, before we get back to the question, Kieran, the one final thing about Eric Alonso is that he might actually be honest now and send us a picture of his real house on TikTok, <laughs> which would be a, a caravan somewhere in Dover. <laughs> I think that's the most remarkable story of the year, the, the fact that he sent a picture of somebody else's house to try and convince Derby fans he was worth the money. Uh, but anyway, back to Scott, as you say, back to Scott Square. It's, a, it's an actually, it's, I think it's a very valid question. Yes, because um, Wayne Rooney did have a sort of player-coach contract. Mm. Now, uh, presumably when he became a manager, 
uh, that contract was annulled because he was no when he did retire as a player, and that was replaced with an alternative contract. Um, the average salary for a player in the championship is eight hundred and thirty-three thousand pounds a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when when the EFL came out on Friday and said. Uh, we're not very happy with the new Premier League TV deal because it doesn't give us enough money. Um, I, I think actually that they need to start looking inwardly. Uh, the, the, the club owners in the Championship refuse to have any form of cost control in, in the form of uh, wage limitations, which which is fine. You know, it, it, that's they, they they'd have to agree that with with the PFA, mm. but uh, but wage wages have increased by one hundred and twenty percent over the decade. So even if uh, even if Wade Rooney was just on an average contract as a Derby player. Uh, he, he would have still been bringing in a large sum of money. Remember, he was wearing the the number thirty two shirt yes. as part of a a deal with sponsors thirty two red. So that would have been an enhancement. Um, in, in terms of his contract as a manager, I suspect, uh, like many other championship managers, it will be on a relatively low sum. I don't think it will be on necessarily more or less than than some others. Um, it will be highly incentivized towards promotion. Um, you know the bonuses for getting promoted. We are we are talking um, up to seven figures in in respect of some contracts. So mm. um, th- there are some relatively um, new managers to to English football. Uh, the guy at Barnsley, for example, so he won't be on huge amounts. Wayne Rooney is a name. I, I still think he would be on a uh, at least uh, he will be a top half, if not top quartile. Of, of contracts as far as the championship is concerned. <clears throat> You've not used the word quartile for a while. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, the guy at Barnsley may be relatively unknown to you, Kieran. Uh, Valerian Ishmael was probably the worst uh, money Palace ever spent on a player ever, and that's saying really? something. He was shocking. Really, te- one of the worst centre-halves I've ever seen in my life. Um, you thought you were Thomas Brolin playing for you at one stage. Uh, that's, we did, yes. Thomas Brolin, uh, who's our assistant manager, uh, because he spoke some English, basically. <laughs> our, manager, our manager, Attilio Lombardo, spoke no English, so they thought they'd get a, a four-stone overweight <laughs> Thomas Brolin on before he started his handbag career, which he which dead did when he left us. Um, we... <laughs> he got booed off once at Palace, and then we we think he headed headbutted the dressing room wall to provide a cut on his head, and then came back on the touchline with a big bandage, which he pointed at, trying to <laughs> pretend he got hurt in the challenge he didn't make. Uh, they were they were funny times. Um, you, you mentioned Wayne Rooney being number thirty two because there were rumours at the time when he came in as a player that thirty two red may be paying some of his. Is wages? Would they be allowed to do that as a manager? Is there anything to stop a sponsor contributing to a, a manager's wages? No, I, I, I still don't think that they would be contributing directly. But right. my understanding is that there is a some form of star player clause or star recruitment clause um, in the sponsorship deal, whereby if a if, it, if a player come if somebody comes in who's you know, achieved X, Y, or Z in his career, then the the sponsorship agreement uh, allows for additional payments. So, yes, thirty two red could potentially uh, pay more. Whether they would choose to do so, uh, uh, you know, looking at the the Derby County forums, uh, uh, the politest way of describing his managerial tenure to date is that the jury is out. 
Um, and uh, I think there's a fair number of looked actually like Wayne Rooney to be out as well. But you mm. know, it, but uh, you know, he's 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 learning his trade. Um, and ultimately, it's uh, you know, it, there's there's other factors as well at that club which will be revealed at a later point in time. Oh, don't do that to them, Kieran. That's cruel. Um, on a similar managerial note, uh, Paul Nash asked a question that I think all football fans have asked at some stage in their life. It's about managers getting the boot. And Paul says in many lines of work, you can be dismissed for poor performance and get zero compensation. Not podcast hosting, I hope. Um, <laughs> uh, Paul says, why is it then that football managers who demonstrably fail to deliver against agreed objectives always seem to walk away with a payout? Um, my, my guess would be, Kieran, that payout is part of their recruitment contract. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you know far more about you know, HR and, and contracts than I do in, in terms of employment law. Um, so in terms of this, I, th- I think there is a common misconception about the importance of a manager to ultimate team performance. Mm. If we had 20 Pep Guardiolas in the Premier League, three teams would still get relegated. So does that mean that those three Pep Guardiolas are rubbish, and the other, and the and the three and the four that qualify for the Champions League are great? Ooh. Um, Ooh, the, that's like that's like one of those philosophy questions you get asked in a pub, isn't it? It's, it's far too early on a Sunday morning yeah. to be discussing things of this nature. Yes, my, my my favourite one, the legendary one, of course, in the philosophy exam was: "Is this a question?" Uh, and the answer being yes, but only if this is an answer. So. <laughs> I can tell you the answer to the, uh, the if a tree falls in the wood, does it make a sound? Yes, it does. Of course it does. Let's, yes, it does. I don't know why. That's, anybody, that's... I don't know why that's even a debate. Does a bear? Yeah, yeah of course a bear goes in the woods. Is the pope a, <laughs> the pope is a Catholic as well? I don't, I don't know why we have these these debates. Um, but that, that's actually that's a very interesting point here, and one I've never considered. You're absolutely right, but it seems counterintuitive to to think that a manager has. Nothing to do with a team's performance, doesn't it? Does, does he have nothing to do with the team? No, no, that, that's not, not okay. But if if you look at it from um, an analytical point of view, ninety um, percent of the success or otherwise in respect of a football club is down to budget, because it's you know who who is actually delivering the results? It's the players, mm. you know. And Ma- Manchester City had a. 300 and uh, I think it was 365 million pound wage bill last season um and they were they were runners up and they they're, they're having a they're having an okay season this year yeah. um yeah. whereas if if we take a look at the clubs which were relegated they, they tended to have very low wage budgets so it's it's 90 percent down to budget in terms of both recruitment and uh, retention in terms of wages probably four or five percent comes down to luck you know, it's sometimes the ball does hit the post and go in, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you get a lucky, lucky decision, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes VAR is absolutely rubbish, and sometimes it's just mediocre, <laughs> um, and and then probably yeah, probably five percent down to the manager. Mm. So so you know that's that's from you know, from, a, from an from an academic anal- analytical perspective that that's what we're effectively looking at. Now clearly that five percent is still important because that five percent is the difference potentially between fifth and fourth or seventeenth and eighteenth, which financially have huge mm. implications for a club. But um the the reason why there is so much focus on managers is that 
trade getting rid of managers at football clubs is a very very cheap option if you if if somebody at the club has recruited half a dozen duffers if you, if you yeah we, we, if we look at barcelona and and the financial problems that they have they somebody at barcelona is responsible for recruiting dembele coutinho and griezmann yeah that's 400 million mm. between mm. them and they've been bobbins absolutely mm. bobbins um and and that's that's a big contributory factor to why they're not they're not delivering on the pitch. Is the manager responsible for that? No, he's not. He he might have some say in it, mm. but uh, it, it's not it's not his uh, it's not his final decision a lot of the time in in terms of recruitment. So the role of the manager is overplayed to an extent, but they they do have an influence. But I think that the extent of the influence is in fact vastly overstated. Mm. James Mann wants to know how much a season is spent on referees across the whole of football in the UK or England, if you prefer, from grassroots level all the way up to the Premier League. James says he used to be a referee himself for £30 a game in the youth league, so it must all add up to a hefty sum. When the the pre-match pubs are open again, Kieran, when they're all up and running, I guarantee this will be the question, as it used to be, that I get asked most. How much do referees earn? I should find out. Because I just pick a different number every time. I once told like I once told somebody <laughs> in the pub that Craig Porson got a million pound a match. Which <laughs> seemed, like a, seemed like a reasonable figure at the time. It infuriated the person I told, but I couldn't back down then. <laughs> well, well, in in the Premier League, I think they're effectively the the uh, the, the referees on are on a retainer of around about eighty grand a year, mm. and um, they top that up with. Uh, match fees, but also bonuses. Mm. So I, I think I think they can end up with with around about double that or close to double that. Um, if, if we sort of split this uh, in terms of grassroots football, I did do an analysis looking at the number of grassroots teams, trying to work out the average. The the total cost for grassroots football is probably around about thirty million pounds a year, which which isn't a huge sum. You know, you'll you'll get a you'll, you'll get a moderate left back for that for that, won't you? Yeah. Um, so so that that's supporting the whole of grassroots football. But then you know, if you think about it, you've got you've got forty odd thousand clubs um, playing, let's you know, say, twenty two matches a season each, and uh, yeah, the referees on thirty pounds a piece. If if we then move up to the elite level, um, you know, the PGMOL, which is the the company which is responsible for uh, professional professional game match officials limited, is the official name of the company. It had total income of twenty two million of which the vast majority of that went to uh, you know, went to to the people involved so it it, it is very much skewed as, as is uh, as is money in football of course in respect of all elements towards the professional game but uh, you know for ref- referees do uh do, do a thankless job you know if any, if anybody thinks it's easy I, mean, I, I used to be a i used to be a, a, a parks referee. Um, and, uh, you know, having blokes offering you out in the car park afterwards, you know, for, for 20 quid, it's just really, just really isn't worth it. Um, yeah, having to deal with dogs running on the pitch. Um, oh, it's nothing funnier than the dog running on a pitch. <laughs> nobody goes and not, nobody bites you on the ass. It's not. Oh no. As long as you're not being bitten on the ass, Kieran, that's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like when a player gets a ball in the genitals, that's the funniest <laughs> thing you'll ever see. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless it's you getting the ball. Um, th- that income for the PGMOL of 22 million pound, is that all from the Premier League? 
No, that that is from the Premier League, the Football Association, and the EFL, all of whom are the shareholders in PGMOL. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, Larkin Fogel has an interesting question and an interesting name, I have to say, which I think I've said before. Yeah. Um, Larkin <clears throat> uh, said that he listened to an interview recently with Jack Harrison, currently on loan at Leeds from Man City. He talked about the support that he receives from City in terms of sports psychologists, physios, etc. Now, Larkin says presumably that happens in Manchester, which isn't far away, but do all clubs maintain these types of service for their players out on loan or is this just the benefit of city groups deep pockets I, I think actually for a, for a lot of the bigger clubs it is uh, it, it is quite an important issue we, we did a guy branston uh, who's the the leicester loan manager on the show a, a few mm. months ago and, and it was interesting yeah listening to him and, and i was talking to to somebody else in football who was involved with a big six club and and he said it's absolutely essential for everybody concerned that um, looking after the welfare, both physical and mental, of these these young men is essential. What you will often find is that you've got a player who's you know, 18, 19, 20, still learning his trade, and he goes out on loan to a you know, first or second division club. So you know, you're going from Arsenal to Newport County or you're going from Brighton to Rochdale or Forest Green Rovers. Now, it could be that um, you know, many of these uh, young players are on quite good contracts because they're coming from a Premier League club and they're going into a dressing room where the the average you know, if you're if you're going into a club in league 2 the chances are that the players are on an average of say you know 1000 to 1500 pounds a week mm. and you turn up and you're on four or five times of that and they're thinking who the hell's who does he think he is you drive into the car park in a swanky car and all of the others yeah. are driving you know four or five year old motors because they're older professionals. By this stage, they've got families and mortgages. And it's, it can be a really intimidating environment in which to try to establish yourself. So having some form of support from the club, because yeah, we're, take, we're, we're dealing with kids here a lot yeah, of the course. time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Is really important from the club's point of view, but also from, from the point of view of the player in terms of his development pathway. And the club that is hosting him, because you know, you've taken this player on loan because you want that this player to, yes, you know he's going to go back to the host club at some point in time, in all probability. But you know he's going to a save you money in the transfer market and b enhance your your chances. So so having this type of support, you know, whether it is for Jack Harrison at Leeds or or, or other players, um, is not only uh, common; it's absolutely essential for all parties concerned. Mm, and not expensive either. That's the other thing. Uh, uh, that imaginary lad who moved from Brighton to Rochdale, he dodged a bullet, didn't he? I bet he couldn't wait to get on the train. Um, uh, well, he, that, that imaginary lad um, is now playing in the Premier League as our goalkeeper. Is he? Yeah. You managed to entice him back with promises of free rock and chips. That's um, right. We'll get your sticker rock with your name written all the way through it. Still don't know how they do that. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember, um, I, I remember talking Mark, Mark Bright, one of Mark Bright's roles at Palace is to look after players that we bring in on loan. And I, I spoke to him about what his job entailed. And he said, essentially, it's, it's being somebody on the end of a phone because they've, they've got all sorts of problems and they just need to know that there's someone they can phone to. You know, they're, they're in a new area. They may have left their family behind. There might be language issues. They might be 
astounded to think to find out that Thornton Heath isn't as attractive in real life as it can be in some photographs. So it's just, it's just, a, it's just they need a shoulder to cry on, or they need somebody to object. I, I kind of thought, well, that's it's nice to know that clubs actually do realise that sort of thing. Because I'm guessing twenty, thirty years ago. They wouldn't have given a flying monkeys, really, especially about lone players. They're still he's only here for six months. We don't care if he's happy or not, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, James Golk uh, has a very good question, uh, if you're an Ipswich fan, and also uh, has invented a very good word. Um, James Golk says that his team, Ipswich Town, have an Adidas kit deal, and James understands that the deal and the kits are made via a third party who basically Ipswichify uh, a play, I'm going to say that again. They Ipswichify a plain Adidas kit and training gear. So how does this sort of deal work for a club that is clearly too small fry to have direct involvement with Adidas? Do they get a sponsorship fee, a cut of the sales, or is the deal only done with the third party? And my question, Kira, who would that third party be? Right. Well, um, Adidas, Nike, and other big manufacturers, um, that they will offer... Uh, based on the 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 expected the expected uh, level of sales, either a template deal, which is you know, this this is our kit for twenty twenty one twenty two, and then they will say um, if you want somebody to Ipswichify it, you know you can put on your badge, you can put on perhaps a, the name of the sponsor, and then we will produce it for you, and that will be sold in the club shop. Um, and the, yes, that they they will pay a fee uh, for the privilege because uh, it does. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember. I think Nike were doing South End kits. Yeah, and South End haven't had the greatest of seasons oh, well. fairly recently. Mm. So yeah, they are looking at, at a range of clubs, but the amount of money that they will offer because you know if, if we if we sell two thousand shirts in South End with Nike on it, it's still two thousand shirts. Yeah. But clearly the, the the fees are linked to the expected level of sales. And then the clubs get a commission as well, because the chances are that the only place that uh you know for the smaller clubs, the only place that the, the kits are going to be sold is is going to be via the, the club online shop or the physical shop. Those those commissions are normally around about seven percent. Mm-hmm. Um but remember we do this year have this this infamous uh, Nike deal between with Liverpool, where where Liverpool took a lower fee. I think they 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 were offered around about sixty million from New Balance plus seven percent, or thirty million from Nike, but twenty percent of the mm. commission, and they went down the commission route. So so that that's what that's what will happen um, in terms of its its witchification. Um, Nike will will be the uh, diktat. Uh, in terms of this relationship, because what, well, sorry, Adidas, because what they don't want to do is is have to go and have a major change to their production routines, which will be you know be based uh, in in Asia somewhere, mm. um, and and they're just trying to produce volume. So so they won't want. So they will say this this is the maximum number of alterations we we will allow you in terms of our template for the year, um, and, and these uh, the, these bodies again will they will they'll probably just get a set fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the alternative <clears throat> to going through the Adidas, Nike, perhaps Puma route is to um, yeah, have a bespoke uh, deal, um, where, where and what we are seeing is that again, some manufacturers such as Nike and Adidas will say, "Well, we will give you a bespoke home kit because you're a moderate-sized club." 
and from the away kit, we'll give you one of our templates with your club badge on, or you you might be able to negotiate something a wee bit better than that, but probably not not a lot, unless you go for a much smaller um, a, a, a much smaller manufacturer. So if we take a look at what's happened in Scotland, um, Rangers this year have have moved away from a, one of the big manufacturers to um, a, a new a new kit manufacturer, in effect, called Castore. Um, and, and they've got a bespoke kit and, you know, th- that's actually selling quite well. And, and, and you, and, and the advantage of dealing with that is, is good for both parties. You know, whilst Rangers are clearly a big club in Scotland, would they be a big deal as far as Adidas and Nike are concerned? Well, yeah, the answer is no, because the, mm. the main focus is on Real Madrid and Barcelona and Manchester United and Liverpool. Um, so potentially you can get a, a bigger uh, a bigger and better deal from going from from one of the likes of these. And then if that relationship works, you know, perhaps Castori could then move to the Premier League um and sign up with, with another club. So so you know, th- this these these are sort of the, the strategies which are used by all of the parties in in the nature of the relationships. This notion of the template, Kieran, so if Ipswich went to Adidas and said, um, yeah, we have our traditional dark blue shirt. It's a lovely colour, royal blue, whatever it is. And they said, but this season, the next season, we want to have a little shaded light blue stripe in it with a red stripe on the sleeve. Adidas would say, no, can't do it, too complicated. You've got to stick with the plain kit that we've given you because we're not changing the machinery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's the way it tends to work. Now, you know, it, it could be that Ipswich are just on the right side of size in terms of volume of sales as far as Adidas are concerned to say that Adidas turns to say, well, okay, we'll do it for the home kit, for the away kit. Right. You've got our bog standard, you've got our bog standard shirt with, with an Ipswich badge on. Okay. Um, we've had quite a few questions recently, Kieran, um, making comparisons between our game and uh, American sport. And Mark Strong has asked an interesting one. Mark's question is that given the pandemic and, of course, the reduced income for clubs, plus the possibility of increased injuries with so many games in quick succession, is there an argument for clubs to go down the NFL route where players get paid their normal amount or a guaranteed lower amount if they're out injured? This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion... You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, um, th- there is presently a collective bargaining agreement between the PFA and uh, the Premier League and the EFL. Um, so I think if if we were to go down that route, um, I think the PFA would dig their heels in. They would say... Um, with, with with a degree of uh, yeah, with, with a degree of vehemence, that um, you know, how how do we make players responsible for injuries which are taking place in a match? You know, if it, should you therefore bottle out of a fifty fifty tackle? Mm. Because if you if you go into a if you go full in to a fifty fifty tackle, get injured, then you're looking a third at a thirty or forty percent wage cut. So I, I think that we'd have to be very careful before you went down that route. And then there would be the issue is if we take a look at what happens in the NFL, the NFL um, negotiates effectively on behalf of all franchise holders. Um, mm. in, in the sport and therefore and all of the franchise holders agree on mass to invoke those rules if if we look at what happens in english football each club is separate yet whilst yes they are under the umbrella of the premier league and the efl they actually just squabble amongst themselves all the time and and there's always elements of one upmanship so if let's say we have a club in the championship let's let me just randomly choose Preston North End who says right we're introducing this type of contract um it's gone through our lawyers this is what we're going to offer players um then a club with a similar wage bill in normal years let's say Brentford will say well okay but we're not going to put in that particular clause and now you've got a player who's got a choice of Brentford or Preston which club is he going to go to so th- there is a, there is a difference in terms of the the power element between player and club uh, in the NFL it's still skewed towards the club mm. or the or the franchise whereas i think the players have a greater degree of power um in, in football uh, and then yeah, what happens if yeah we've i hate to bring up the subject derby county and richard Keogh, where the mm. player was offered um, a contract on much much reduced terms after he committed the heinous crime of getting into the back of a car mm. Yeah, fair enough. Which we covered in the last pod, didn't we? And that was a, a two years of uh, that shouldn't have happened. Um, our next question comes from Sam Hawks. Now, Sam says that you mentioned in a recent pod that the game Football Manager by Sports Interactive has data and scouting notes that are available behind the scenes and sold to football clubs. Is it just sold to top clubs, or are clubs like my beloved Aldershot Town utilising this? Would this make SI a good chunk of their income and how is it sold? And I think, Kieran, we need a slight caveat here because in my memory, when I asked Tom Markham from SI whether the football manager data was available, he didn't 100% confirm that it was. Uh, He didn't deny it, but he didn't 100% confirm it. The only way I could check that was by going back to listen to the pod, but that's not going to happen. Um, (laughs) But either way, it's still a good question from Sam, isn't it? Because if that data is available, 
I'm guessing it's going to be at a price way beyond Aldershot Town. Well, well, first of all, that that data is available. There you go. Um, I, I'm I, I know Tom quite well, um, and and the way that um, Football Manager works is that if you're operating it on uh, on a PC, you've probably got 40 attributes for an individual player, but there are a further 230 which lie behind that, that front screen, which SI use in their evaluation. And, and the advantage that SI have is that they've got 1,300 scouts worldwide operating mm. for them. Now, often they are professional scouts who are op- – you know, so this is sort of a sideline job um, – and they've got 650,000 players on their, on their database. So, so what they would be able to do in, in respect of a, 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 a National League club such as Aldershot is that they would be able to offer them a, a, a package of additional information. So for the Premier League, you might get the whole package, but you'll be able to get that tiered down. Uh, I mean, there, there was an example of, uh, I think, Ray Houghton, approached SI a few years ago um, when trying to work out which players had uh, Irish parents or grandparents and therefore oh, okay. would qualify to play for the Republic of Ireland. So, you know, so the, you know, the, the, degree of, uh, the degree of data can be very much tailored to a, to a relatively small job. And actually, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of work. It, once you've done all of your research, and, and I, you know, I, I know this from a personal perspective in the sense that, for me, putting together all the data has taken me years and years, but I can actually extract a, a single piece of data relatively quickly from, from my spreadsheets. Um, that there's there's a relatively low cost, I think, for, from football manager and SI's point of view, um, and it, it is you know it, first of all it, it's a game which I'm desperate to play, but I won't because the Baroness <laughs> would kill me. I, mean, I spend enough you of my life on football. You I've not got time. time. <laughs> I know. I um when it comes to collecting data that takes you, I take the even lower cost route, which is uh, I ask you. <laughs> it's, no point, it's no point both of us spending years collecting data. We're collecting the same data. So I'll just sit back and wait for you to do it. So could it be as specific? So if if, if Sam's beloved Aldershot Town were interested in a player from Bromley, for example, would they be able to approach SI to, just to ask information about that one player? Or are there not data protection implications here as well? No, no, because the you know the, the there there is first of all there's data out there on the public domain age right, of okay. player the length of contract and so on, um, but in terms of assessment, uh, yeah, there are other uh, scouting organisations, uh, so, you know, Smarter Scout, Opta, and so on that will have have uh, databases and and so, you know some of this is opinion rather than uh, data protection based issues and and in fact in the uh, in in the Jupiter Pro League. At present, there is a young English manager called Will Still. I think he's only twenty-eight, um, who learned all of his management skills on Football Manager, and he is now the uh, he is now the the head coach of the fantastically named club Beershot um, in Belgium, who mm. uh, you know finished mid-table and of probably punching above their weight. So mm. yeah, I think he's only twenty-eight. So wow. you know, fo- fo- Football Manager, um, yeah, this this is a, a, a fantastic example of uh, you know it, clearly yeah, he 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 started off with the game uh, and has then gone through sort of the, the coaching route, but he's he still swears by it. 
See, Sam Hawkes probably doesn't realise that his question has perfectly illustrated why this pod needs two people, because if I'd answered that question, I would have got it entirely wrong. Um, uh, did you say his name's Will Still? Yes. Oh, mate, he must have suffered at school. I've got, there's a very, very good comedy writer called Will Ing. That's his real name as well. And it, some of the imaginative nicknames he got at school. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, and in fact, I have just received a message. I did, I did actually... Live on uh, air? I, I, Live on air from Football Manager, um, but uh, we, we work with a range of clubs from across the world is how they describe it. And I think this is at all levels. So very much uh, thanks to Football Manager for, for bothering to, to answer me on a Sunday yeah, morning. Kieran, I'm going to put on my best Baroness voice here, Kieran. Did you text somebody to ask them a question while I was talking to you? Uh, no, I did, I did this uh, whilst I was researching the, the show this morning. So this was about seven o'clock this morning. Uh, about what time this morning? <laughs> Bedtime, <laughs> I think, for you showbiz types. <laughs> wow, it's two seven o'clocks. Um, uh, Robert Curtis raises a very good point. And this is one of those questions, again, when you read it, you go, hang on a second, we should have all thought of that. But Robert says, as the Bosman case was heard by the European Court of Justice and related to the free movement of players within the European Union. Does the ruling still apply to UK football? And perhaps, Kieran, you could begin your answer with a brief reminder of what the Bosman ruling was, just saying for a friend. Yes, so so uh, Mark Bosman was a Belgian footballer who, at the end of his contract, was he'd, be, he'd been injured and he was offered a renewed contract by his employer on around about half or a third of his original wages. Um, and they would not let him sign for another club. So he, he took them to court and the court ruled in his favour, which said that at the end of the contract which you have signed, you are a free man. I, yeah. Because otherwise, you, you know, historically, and I think you know, younger listeners won't, won't be realise this, you were effectively a slave to the club. Yeah, they they yeah. could prevent you yeah. from having an alternative career. So the, uh, the European Court of Justice ruled in favour of the player and both FIFA and UEFA opposed it on behalf of the clubs. And they also said at the time, because both FIFA and UEFA are based in Switzerland, and Switzerland is not part of the European Union, that any ruling by the ECJ would not apply. Um, but um, the ECJ said, well, if the players are playing in European football, yeah, it does apply. Um, so, so where do we stand uh, as far as Brexit is concerned? Well, what we have to do is to go to the withdrawal agreement, because given that UK law has been significantly influenced by European law since we, we effectively joined the European Union in 1973, uh, I think it was, um, that to to create a, a, a vacuum in terms of law would have would have been problematic. Mm. Um, so my understanding and my interpretation of where we are is that the Bosman ruling will continue to apply unless there is a test case brought presumably by a club to say that it doesn't apply. Or you know to to say you know I, we want to challenge the Bosman ruling because it was an ECJ um, rule, uh, element and therefore would it be possible to apply some form of uh, UK law uh, interpretation onto this which could potentially mean that it doesn't uh, impact upon 
uh, English clubs. And, and and if they did that, I, I think a it, it yeah I'd, I'd like to be a fly on the wall listening in. Um, but it could have huge ramifications. I, I suspect that uh, you know the, the broad principles of Bosman in that as an employee you have a degree of freedom um, would continue to apply un, under present UK employment law. But I, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm certainly not an employment lawyer. Mm. It. Uh, I remember shortly after the Bosman case, I took part in some radio debate about you know best player in the world ever, and somebody made a very Valid point. You could argue that on that list, Mark Bosman was probably the most influential player, certainly in Europe, because he changed the law that was wrong. In the same way, that you could probably argue that Jimmy Hill, God rest his soul, was one of the most influential players in English football because he campaigned to get the maximum wage abolished back in 1961, I think it was. Yes, yes. Mm. And, and I was looking at some academic papers um the last week or so, and and I think of the I think of the something of the two thousand one hundred players that have come to English football since the start of the Premier League, only four hundred of whom would have qualified under the the present rulings that we now have and the points based system. Yeah, you know, people like Virgil Van Dijk wow. wouldn't have been able to come to the Premier League and and many others. So so you know there has been a significant change uh, because we are operating under the GBE, the the Global Body Endorsement mm. Scheme. Um and, and the you know the medium and long term implications for this are, are, will be worth monitoring. Mm. Uh Kieran, someone is going to be in trouble at the end of our last question. <laughs> and I suspect it may be Morgan Nock. Uh, Morgan says, my partner is an accountant of almost 20 years and she seems like a natural finance director to my chairman role. I ran that past Ali. Eyebrows were raised. Uh, I'm assuming when Morgan says his partner is an accountant of almost 20 years, that means experience, not she's a 19-year-old accountant. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Morgan, Morgan says, oh, I loved reading. I'd so enjoyed reading this out to Ali. She wasn't in a good mood at the time anyway. Um, uh, she was having jigsaw problems. Um, oh. <laughs> Morgan says that she has done lots of business partner and financial manager roles with experience across a number of industries, and I've given her the price of football book for starters, but could Kieran recommend any more academic text to help her get her head round football finance? <laughs> I ran that bit past Ali as well, and she said, does the poor woman need the offside law explaining with salt cellars as well? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, Morgan does sound like the sort of man who would sit her down and say, now, look, you've got to have two salt cellars between the pepper pot and the girl. But, yes, to, to, just to help Morgan's partner, and to be fair, Morgan is also a female name, so we, we could be misjudging Morgan here. I, I, I guess not. But, you know, Morgan's partner needs to get her head around football finance, Kieran. Can you recommend... Any other books than your than yours? Well, yeah, but also I, I I read that the wording very carefully in in Morgan's question, and it said, "Could Kieran recommend some academic texts to help get her head around football finance?" The, the inference being that mine isn't an <laughs> academic text, um, which. <laughs> It's just a book with a bright yellow cover. <laughs> I, di I didn't. I didn't take that inference from it, Kieran. But then I'm always looking for the comedy angle rather than <laughs> rather than your ego angle. <laughs> no, I think we can all. It's it's academic. I think it's to my level of thinking it's academic. It's brilliant, but it's you know 
Uh, are there any other books? I can't think of any. Swiss Ramble can't be asked to do a book because he's swimming in the money as it is. Exactly. He, he's a uh, he's, he's producer guy's you know, professional money counter, I believe. <laughs> I think producer. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if producer guy is Morgan Knock. That's Morgan Knock's <laughs> real. Because this question raises a lot of a lot of areas, doesn't it? Yes. Can you recommend anything else, Kieran? Is it? Um, I, I I think we you rather I say we that would be unfair. You've probably been single handedly responsible in the past eighteen months for a, a massive increase in the interest in football finance. Which is, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Oh, I don't. I am. <laughs> um, well, in terms of other books that I would look at from from a business point of view. I mean, um, the, the reason what, why my book sold um, far greater number of copies than I ever envisaged. And you know, I, I'd like to make myself out to be a good guy here and said that I gave all the royalties away. Um, yeah, all right. Because... All right. <laughs> Because yeah, okay, I, cool. I didn't think I didn't think it would sell. Yeah, I didn't. So, know, I didn't know that was an option. If they, if, if they told me that was an option, of course I would have gone for that option. <laughs> so, so, so the so the Baroness was sort of said, "Okay, Kieran, you've done your bit now. Um, <laughs> how much how much does this cost you? Yeah. Oh, I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. Good cause, good cause. Yeah, exactly. yeah, don't you be that nice a guy. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, the books which I, I think are, are always worth reading would be uh, Stefan Szymanski's Soconomics, uh, which is uh, it is more of a, a broader economics book. Um, there's a couple of really good uh, law-based books if you want to get your head around. So, so Daniel Gee, we've had Daniel on the show, done mm. deal. Our friend Nick DeMarco's Football and the Law, but you will need to take out a mortgage to buy that one. Um and uh, my my good friend, Dr. Daniel Parnell, he's sort of got perhaps a, this might be sort of you know, a, a, more of a, a traditional academic book, which is the, the Routledge Handbook of Football Business and Management, uh, where it's got lots of academic papers in it and, and from an academic viewpoint. So, so that's why they didn't ask me to write a chapter for it, because I can't I, I don't actually I'm not an academic. I'm. I am just a chancellor who's who's managed to blag a career at university. Yeah, you've done quite well off it, though, Kieran. It, why, academic texts are so expensive. And a, a friend of mine, um, Oliver Double, which not his real name, he was a comedian. <laughs> he's now Professor Oliver Double. Uh, Brilliant. Yes, yeah, he's the only. He specialises in the history of comedy at Kent University. He, oh he, wow! He wrote this brilliant. He interviewed me for. I say it's brilliant. I've not read it. It's a history of the early years. It's, 80, it's 85 quid. Yeah. Because it's an academic. I don't quite understand. Do they not want people to learn stuff? Or they, is it just for other academics to read? But Well, the, the problem is that, you know, and, and this isn't a criticism of students. Students don't buy books anymore. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I remember when I was an undergraduate and I had to buy books and they cost a, for, they cost a fortune back in the early 80s, but, but students don't tend to buy books. So therefore, the only people that do buy academic texts are university libraries. And uh, therefore, if, if, if you're looking at a print run, you're probably for, you could, you might just be selling to, you know, two or 300 in, in full stop because who else is going to buy them? Um, and, and therefore to cover your, your setup cost, they tend to be, uh, quite high. I mean, I, I know I had a huge battle with my publisher that when, when they thought it was a traditional, uh, textbook that was coming out and they were selling it at 23 pounds. For the paperback, I was saying, well, 
I, I think that there's a there's a there's a football fan market for absolutely, this. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, knock the price down to a tenner, and it all yeah, relatively fly off the shelves, and it did. Mm. Um, but the hardback version of my book is is sixty quid, and it's ridiculous. It, you know, it's, it's 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 nonsensical. And I, I actually did get the. The, the the full publishing statement and they managed to sell five of the <laughs> of, of the hard packs of which two were given to me as author copies <laughs> did you sign one for yourself kieran i did uh, <laughs> uh, um questions at priceoffootball.com is what you need to contact if you have any questions for our next questions pod any aspect of football finance at all it's questions at priceoffootball.com if you want to say happy birthday to roy tweet him on roy uh, glad all over he'd like that and i shall hand you over to the academic kieran mcguire, <laughs> kieran mcguire <laughs> to say his traditional academic farewell well, I'm, I'm not an academic because I, I, I was told that I, I'm, I'm never going to get promoted um, that, that because I'm too tabloid for, <laughs> to, be, to, to be considered. So, okay, is, is this because they called me a boffin in the Daily Star? Uh, and it was, you know, and the sort of the reply was, what, what's the Daily Star? Which, uh, which I was slightly oh. wounded by, of course. Actually, tab, tab, tabloid academics are the best. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, in... In terms of my, my final words, um, if you uh, if you want to support the show on on Patreon, folks, uh, thanks very much. It's, uh, from as little as a pound a month, uh, and we are going to be doing the draw for a, a couple of the books and bits and pieces um, uh, to to celebrate the end of the season. So that'll be that'll be in the next week or two. Um, and if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, if you could give us a review and give us five stars. For reasons myself and Kevin don't understand, because we're not academics, but producer <laughs> guy does because he's a, he is the academic uh, podcast producer. Um, it, it makes a difference in the charts, and and it just adds to our credibility when we're trying to book guests for the show. Apart from that, uh, I hope the weather where you are is better than where it is where I am at present. And look after yourselves and your loved ones, and we'll all get through this nonsense uh, quicker quicker than we realise. Yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. The price of football. I'm for the